Hello, my name is Neil Chota. I am the pastor of Church Life, and we are continuing our sermon series on the book of Philippians. Now, we want you to dive deep as we go into this great book, and we have some resources available. You can even scan the QR code right now. That'll take you to our website where we will have uh, transcripts of the messages, message notes, and other videos and other uh, resources that we want to empower you to read more about the book of Philippians. Well, last week we spoke about uh, joy, which is one of the themes within the book of Philippians. And we talked about unspeakable joy. It's a divine joy that comes when we receive the blessings of grace and peace from God when we are in a relationship with God. Now, Paul has this joy in his life, even though he is in prison writing this book to the church at Philippi. Um, and he's sharing the gospel message about Jesus Christ while he is in prison. And the way the Church of Philippi was formed was found in the book of Acts 16, and it's quite uh, interesting. There's some uh, sharing of the gospel message, but there's also some uh, divine things that happen. For example, the uh, first person that Paul connected with uh, was a woman, woman by the name of Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She heard the gospel message and became a Christ follower. Another person was while Paul and Silas, were his ministry partner, were sharing the good news about Jesus Christ in the marketplace, a woman who was demon-possessed interacted with them. And Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and to the power of the Holy Spirit, um, was able to cast that demon out of this woman, and this woman became then a Christ follower. And when Paul and Silas were in prison, um, they were full of joy. They were sharing the gospel message. They were singing, and something divine happens. An earthquake takes place, and the chains fall off of their hands, and the prison doors fly open, and the jailer who's there realizes something interesting has happened. Here's the gospel message, and he becomes a Christ follower. So you had three different individuals who probably would never have interacted in their society have this common thing called the gospel uh, in their lives. And they start building this relationship, and the Church of Philippi uh, is formed. Now, the early church members were very different from the other citizens around them um, as they were called by God to be separate from the world around them. So they were separate from the evilness of the world, that they lived a life that was righteous and true uh, according to the scriptures. And they also separated themselves in their witness because people knew that they were people of the way, people who knew Jesus Christ. And it was, it was blatant. It, it, you knew who these individuals were. Because at Philippi, which was a military outpost, the gateway to Europe, a financial and cultural center, um, it was a great place to be if you could not be in Rome. Then you were in Philippi, also known as Little Rome. But their allegiance was to Caesar as king. And then you have this group of Philippians in a church, a gathering, coming together, and their allegiance is not to Caesar, but it is to Christ the king. Now, how did they do it? How did they live their life like that in a place where they were getting persecuted for all the things that they believed in, but also they had problems in life just like us, just regular problems. But how did they live out their life? Well, Paul will be showing us in the next few verses, uh, he has a prayer for the church at Philippi and also for us, for us in the 21st century. How should we live our lives in such a world when we are Christ followers? Well, today I want to share a message on living the gospel-centered life. 
we need to remember that when we became Christians, when we accepted God's call to have a relationship with Him, it was the beginning of an incredible journey. Uh, it wasn't just a one-time event. Uh, salvation was, but then there's a journey after that. Something happens after. Uh, it's a journey that God calls us on. You know, I've pastored for a number of years, and there are a number of Christ followers that I interact with, and they feel like they've arrived already. And I tried to find out what do they mean? And they said, well, they already accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But there's more to that because God, as He calls us into a relationship with Him, we need to live our, our life a gospel-centered life. We are all on a journey pursuing Christ, getting to know Him better, being Christ followers. And that one day that we became Christians, we began a brand new journey. You know, Jesus said in the book of John, 10.10, I have come to give them life and life to the fullest. And a fuller life is a gospel-centered life. And that is the key. And this is what the people in the Church of Philippi had to do. They had to learn how to live a life that has Jesus as the center, that Jesus is the core of their life. And they must reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ in every aspect of their life, in the way they live out their life, in the way they say things, and the way they share the gospel message. Now, that happened 2,000 years ago, and it's happened every year since, every year, decade, century, and millennia since. So what Paul is doing in the next few verses and that we're looking at, he is encouraging the Christ followers to live this gospel-centered life in the world that they are living in. Because when people live a gospel-centered life, we have gospel-centered churches. Now, for some, this could be an epiphany type of moment. Perhaps you have been a Christ follower for many years and have not thought of this. Well, today is a day that you need to re-engage in your life in Christ to have a gospel-centered life. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, please turn to the book of Philippians and chapter 1, 3 to 11. And I'll be reading from the NIV. Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the big idea for this message is the following. To have a gospel-centered life, we must actively pursue four priorities. Now, this message is brought to you by the letter P. So think about this. P for Philippians, P for Paul, pursuing four, and then four priorities. So priorities, four priorities that we are looking at. So four Ps to help you remember. So, so what is the first priority? that a person who's living a gospel-centered life. Well, the first one is pray. Pray. Paul prays for others even though he is in prison himself. A person living a gospel-centered life, no matter what situation they're in, they, they pray. 
And Paul says in, in the verse, um, he, says, he says the word, my God, and he's showing this devotion that he has to God. He's revealing his personal commitment to Jesus Christ and desire to pray for these individuals in Christ. And it is a prayer that comes from his heart, uh, deep within. And Paul has this thanksgiving for the people. And he's so glad that this, this church exists and, and his relationship with them was very close and that, that brings him great joy with them. And in, this prayer permeates joy. Uh, this, is, this prayer, the way he's saying it, it's like, it's like an, an offering from his heart. And, and it brings the imagery of what is found in the book of, of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, what happened is that the high priest would come to the altar of God and, and offer something, offer a sacrifice from the people to God. So, so this is what he's doing. He's, he's like a high priest. He's coming with the, and praying for these people. It's an intercessory prayer to God on behalf of the others. And Paul just loves these individuals and wants to pray for them in the midst of his own problems. And for us, even in the midst of our own problems, we should never lose sight to pray and pray for others. We are called to be people of prayer. Yes, we pray for ourselves, but we also need to pray for others. And this kind of praying is good for us because, because it takes our eyes off of, off of us and refocuses on other people and, and their needs. And this is what Paul wants us to do, we, that we need to be people of prayer, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And remember, Paul has this attitude of joy. He's in a prison. He's shackled to Roman soldiers, but he has, still has this joy because he's praying for these people that he loves so much. You know, joy is never dependent on earthly circumstances. Instead, it rests upon a relationship with our God, who is the source of all joy. That's what joy is. Like We could... We could be having the best season of our lives, or we could be having the worst seasons of our lives, but God is the one who gives us joy in the good and in the bad because our relationship with Him. In a gospel-centered life, we pray for one another. We pray, yes, for ourselves, but also the needs of others. So, so priority here is, is prayer for a gospel-centered life. Secondly, a person living a gospel-centered life needs to partner. And um, this is the verb, not the noun, not a person, but this is the verb, to partner. And I use a form of the word that Paul uses in verse 5. He uses the word partnership. And Paul wants to express the reason for thanksgiving to God, which was their partnership that he has in the gospel of Jesus Christ with the church at Philippi. It has to do with the establishment of this church uh, through the preaching of the word. Uh, it has to do with those receiving the gospel message. And it is shown to be genuine by the outworking of the truth of the people that are living their lives. You know, they sacrificially lived out their lives. They, they sacrificially gave provision for Paul to receive while he is in Rome in prison. And this word partnership right here is the Greek word koinonia. It means participation or fellowship. It includes the believer's participation in the life of God and with one another, a cross-centered partnership. 
um, partnering, to partner. It assumes to have a Christian relationship among all believers, regardless of their status in society. Look at the early church of Philippi. You had a businesswoman, you had a former slave girl, and you had a government employee. They would have nothing in common in society. But within the gospel, they have Jesus in common. And they are partner with one another. They have fellowship with one another. And this is so important. It is so important that this happens. Let me go to a really well-known verse in Philippians. Philippians 1.6. Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began to go to work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is a reference to God who is redeeming grace in the gospel created the church. Here, the good work. The good work is what happened. Uh, these individuals became Christians. And God's redeeming of, of their lives and in renewing work that they are doing will reach its, its crown and its climax at the day of Christ Jesus, when God completes it, when Jesus returns. We in the church today, we must partner with one another within the gospel to be helping each other out, to being with each other. That is what we are called to do. We are called to have fellowship with one another, to be united as one in the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus prayed a prayer in the book of John 17 to 21. He said, Father, as you and I are one, he's praying for the followers of Christ, to, for them to be one. Um, Psalm, the book of Psalms has some great Psalms. Psalm 133 one, it says, how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to, to dwell in unity to one another. It's about partnership. It's about being together because God has done such a great work in us. And, and we need to have fellowship within us to, to encourage each other until the day of Christ Jesus. So let's partner with one another, shall we? If we call ourselves people of God, should we not know each other? If we are called to be a community, should we not hang around with each other? If we are called gospel-centered Christians, should we not have fellowship with one another? So I'm going to ask you to do something today. I want you to find a gospel-centered Christian within the church that you do not know and connect with them. Let's connect with each other. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know. It all starts with a hello. You know, have a cup of coffee with them. If you're, if you're in the church building on Sundays, we have coffee available. Um, have coffee and tea with them. Um, sit at the coffee table. Get to know who they are or take them out uh, for, at Tim Hortons or Starbucks or, or have lunch with them. Um, it's important for us to partner with each other so we can grow in our faith together. You know, we're going to be spending all eternity with, with each other, so we might as well get to know each other now. Who knows? They could be your neighbor. Priority. Partnership is very, very important. The third priority is to proclaim, to proclaim. Paul regards the Philippians very highly because they proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, um, we, we go to this phrase that Paul says. He says, in my heart. And what do you mean about that? In his heart, it means uh, his total core, his total being. Um, it's like the Greek, Greek and Hebrew mindset of the day includes the mind and the will, referring to the innermost being of Paul himself. And, and, and he has this desire that, that, that we need to proclaim the gospel message. And the church had this in common with Paul because they were sharing the gospel message. As Paul is sharing the gospel message in prison, 
this church is sharing the gospel message in its community. Even though the whole community knows that they have this association with some crazy person who's in prison named Paul, sharing something about this guy named Jesus Christ. They knew that was a risk, but they wanted to proclaim Jesus Christ. The, the church knew it was risky, but they wanted to do that. And, and Paul, Paul says these words, and he says, Whether I am in chains or defending or confirming... So he's going to proclaim the gospel, even though he's tied up with a soldier. He's going to proclaim the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And whether he's defending or, or, or confirming, and confirming the gospel message, he's just going to proclaim the gospel. And when he said that, he's thinking about this. He's going to be going to court. And he's going to be defending the gospel and confirming the gospel. Why? Because it is something that changed his life. It's something that changed our life. And Paul, in a sense... He's saying that all Christians are on trial with him because all Christians need to proclaim Jesus Christ and that we need to anticipate and be ready for the type of opposition that can come by, whether it's passive or whether it's really aggressive. We need to be ready to proclaim the gospel message no matter what. It is so important for us to proclaim it. This is what the Philippians did at, you know, in Philippi. 2,000 years ago. This is what Paul is doing in prison, and that is what we must do as gospel-centered people living gospel-centered lives. This is what we are called to do. You know, we must proclaim the gospel. In Acts 1, Jesus said, go out and be my witnesses. You know, the BMW, not the BMW, the car, but BMW is who you are because you are supposed to be his witnesses. Be my witness. That is what God has called us to do, to share the message of hope, light, and love, to share the message about God sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins so we would not have to face the wrath of God ever. And God rose in from the dead and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within the believer. That is what we need to proclaim and share. People are ready to proclaim that they have a brand new job or they graduated, a wedding, a birth of a child, or, or their favorite sports team winning the championship. You know, when I was uh, at this one church, um, um, I, was, I was single. At this one church, I was on staff, and everybody knew I was single. And you know how they knew that? Because the lead pastor, once a month, it was like clockwork. He would always make a reference to me being single. You know, I drove by the church, saw the lights on, Neil's car was there. Oh, of course, because Neil doesn't have a girlfriend. Anyways, so the associate pastor comes to me and he goes, does that bother you? Now, what am I supposed to say? Of course it bothers me. And then he says, are you ever going to date? Are you ever going to get married? And I'm thinking, well, thank you for a very personal and awkward question. So then I said to him, you know what's going to happen? God's going to bless me with a blonde, beautiful, blue-eyed woman. She's going to come into my life. You know what happened a week later? Oh, the Lord provides. I tell you, miracles, yes, they happen. And in walks this beautiful woman, and we get to know each other. And you know what? I proclaimed that I had a girlfriend. Yes, I did. You know, in any type of conversation, I would somehow put the word in that I had a girlfriend. Oh, you saw that movie? Yeah, I saw that movie too with my girlfriend. Oh, you went, went to that great restaurant? Yeah, so did I. I went with my girlfriend. So I made sure and I proclaimed that I had a girlfriend and this girlfriend became my fiance and became my wife and became mother of three incredibly busy young children. But, you know, we want to proclaim many things, but why don't we want to really be out there proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which is far better news than anything that we ever have? 
Now, I'm not stating we should be like Billy Graham or go door to door. But our world is becoming so much like the first century that we need to share the gospel message to the world that needs Jesus. It is not just for us to keep the message of truth to ourselves and not share it. That is wrong. But we must be individuals to proclaim the message of God no matter what. That is what the church of Philippi did. They went out. They could have been arrested, but they went and they proclaimed the message in their daily life by how they lived and also with the words of who Jesus was. And Paul has this great relationship with them because these are individuals who want to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And, and he longs, he longs for, to be with them with the affection of Jesus Christ. That he loves to be with these people who want to proclaim Jesus. And we need to be people to proclaim Jesus as well. The fourth priority, persevere, persevere. Moving forward in our journey in Jesus Christ, it is so important that we move forward in our life because God wants to give us life to the fullest. This priority, we persevere in our Christian walk. When we look at verse 9, Paul has a prayer for the church of Philippi. And then he's talking about uh, their love, their love. And may they persevere in their life in, in the love. And the love, when he's talking about, he's referring to Galatians 522, one of the fruits of the Spirit, love. And that love, he later talks about it in 1 Corinthians. You know, that 1 Corinthians 13 passage that they use at weddings. You know, love is patient, love is kind. That we need to have love. And this love that we have uh, completes us. Because it's love that comes from God. And as he's saying the word love, he says that your love may abound more and more. May you have that more and more. No matter what happens in life, may you have that love more and more. And then he goes on and he says two other words. And he says knowledge. And he says depth of insight. Now, why does he say these two words? When, well, when we look at the word knowledge, knowledge refers to um, um, grasping the, the truth and the truth of Jesus Christ. So it's not just head knowledge, not knowing all these verses, but it's having that connection between the mind and the heart, knowing and having that relationship with Jesus Christ, so, so that knowledge of who Jesus is. Then he says depth of insight. Depth of insight means perception in the world that we live in, perception of the things that are around us. So when both of these happen, you know what it gives us? It gives us strength. It gives us strength to live out our lives. It gives us perseverance to live out our life in the world that Jesus has called us to be. Knowledge and depth of insight will strengthen us as we persevere in this life. And then he goes on in verse 10. And then he says these words, so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be found pure and blameless. Now, what does he mean by that? When he's using this terminology, he's basically saying, um, this is basically a testing of, of, of our purity. 
And let me explain it this way. This is the imagery that Paul is giving as he's, as he's writing this. And it's about um, creating coins. Now, when you created coins back in the day, now, I believe, uh, you melt the minerals, uh, you, you, you melt the, the, the compound, and then, and then you can make the coin. And if the coin is, is good, and if it passes well, then it's genuine. Then this is used for gen, genuine currency. So we need to be individuals that, that, that can discern what is best and here's the word best because best meaning there's lots of options out there we need to discern what is the best option and that we be pure and blameless and here's the key words here for the day of christ for the day of christ is very important because this is when the believers that we will stand in front of god and give an account of the deeds that we have done in life. It's not about whether we're going to heaven or not, because we are, because we are sealed in Christ when we accepted Jesus Christ. But what have we done on our journey? How have we lived our life? Have we had a gospel-centered life? And there will be this account of what we have done. And it is important that we live this gospel-centered life. And we can do this because God gives us strength. We have perseverance that comes from Him. And then Paul goes on to verse 11. And he says, and he's praying that we be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness. Uh, referring again to Galatians 5.22. It is his desire for us as individuals that have a lifestyle that pleases God through living a gospel-centered life through the power of the resurrection, through the power of the gospel, that we are individuals that are transformed, that we are transformed to live like Christ. And it's the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's all about living the gospel in our lives. And as he says, that may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He says, to the glory and praise to God, because all glory and praise needs to be given to God. Because God is the one who sent, the Father sent His Son for us. And the Son died on the cross for us, gave us eternal life. He rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit lives within us. And so that we can be individuals who are filled with the fruit of righteousness to impact the world that we live in because we are people who are living a gospel-centered life. Living the gospel-centered life, that is the desire that Paul has for us and that is the desire that God has for us, that we make the gospel a priority. We are on a journey. We are on a journey in this world. From the day of our salvation, God has given us a plan, a journey to follow. And, and in that, we have to live a gospel-centered life. We need to pray. We need to partner. We need to proclaim. We need to persevere. Now, now today, I could ask you to choose which one of these priorities you need to concentrate in. But I'm not going to do that. Because what we need to do as we're on a journey, we need to have all of these Right here, we need to be practicing all of these. And we can do this because we have the Holy Spirit living with us. We are the redeemed that God has called us into relationship, all pleasing and praise to God our Father. You know, back in March, my family and I we went on this uh, road trip. Uh, first time 
you know, the kids could leave, you know, Canada and we could travel. And so we went to the U.S., went to South Carolina. So it was a time for me to make sure the van is okay. And I am not mechanically inclined at all, if you know me. So I have this mechanic I know, and I take the van there and say, you know, is everything okay? Is it ready to go? And, and he's like, looks at it and he's like, yeah, 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 everything's good. And I had a question about the tires. They go, you know, you know can you make sure the tires are okay? Yep, yep, the tires are okay. Now, when you look at vehicles, majority of us in this room um, will have vehicles that have four tires, right? Four tires. Now, tires make us go on our journey, correct? Right? We could have the best type of vehicle. We could have a Rolls Royce. We could have a Tesla. We could have a Honda Odyssey. That's 2007, which is what I have. Right? It doesn't matter what kind of car it is or vehicle it is. The most important thing that helps us go on our journey are the tires, right? If we don't have the tires, we're basically stuck. We can't go anywhere on a journey. So tires are very important. Now, what would happen if you went on a journey and your vehicle has four tires, right? Room for four tires and you gotta have four good tires there. What happens if you have, let's say, um, you don't have four tires and you only have two tires? Are you gonna be on your journey? Are you gonna be going anywhere? Well, the question would be, no, we wouldn't. The, the car would stay put. You know what, in life, God wants us to be on this great journey that he calls us to. And to be on that journey, we have to be living a gospel-centered life. And sometimes there are Christ followers that decide, you know, we're okay just the way we are. That's not the way it is. Um, we are called. We are called. God has given us a plan. We are called to be on an incredible journey that we need to be people to pray, to partner, to proclaim, and to persevere. And that is how the Christ follower lives out their lives, to be gospel-centered Christians, to live a gospel-centered life. We have to be on this journey. We have to have those wheels. We have to have those priorities so that we can go forward. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that is what the church at Philippi did 2,000 years ago. And that's what we're supposed to do now. You know, there are so many books out there that can help us live the right way in our journey in life. You know, we are probably the only generation on the planet that has so many things that are accessible online and through print and through TV shows or whatever, podcasts, whatever. We have so much like that. But, but really, we're in a mess. What we need is the gospel. And that is what we need. We need to live our life around the gospel message. And what God wants us to do is live a gospel-centered life. That's the only way that we can do this. That's the only way. So I challenge you today. And I was, I'm challenging myself as I prepare for this message. Because I'm preaching this message to myself. That we be men, women, and children a new generation that stands up and we live gospel-centered lives in the world that we are living in. You know, for the people in Philippi, the church of Philippi, um, they wanted to make sure that they lived a gospel-centered life because they didn't know if Jesus was coming, you know, in a moment. You know, whether Jesus comes tomorrow or he comes in a thousand years, we are called to live a life, life to the fullest, a gospel-centered life. The church of Philippi was under great persecution. They didn't know if they were going to make it the next day. They were able to do it. When you think about it, they only had some of the scriptures. They only had basically the Old Testament. We have the full revelation of God found in the Word of God, found in the Bible. We have everything that we need. 
We have God in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit guiding us. All glory to the Father. And He calls us to live a gospel-centered life. And may we do that. May we be true to the Word of God. May we be thankful for what He has given us. Because He has a plan for us and we need to move forward in our journey. Let's live a gospel-centered life. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we thank you so much. Father, for the word that you gave Paul and what he wrote to the church of Philippi and what he's writing to the church in the 21st century. May we be individuals, Lord Jesus, that live a gospel-centered life, that we have not arrived yet, but Father, you have called us to be on this journey. And may we be people, people to pray, to partner, to proclaim, and to persevere in this life and what you have called us to do. And it's for your glory and for your fame because you deserve all of that. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.